Hey, everybody. Welcome. You're listening to the Lead, Build, Live podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lead, Build, Live Leadership Podcast, the podcast with practical conversations about leadership that help you lead well, build healthy teams and organizations, and live a life that matters. I am Larry. I'm here with my partner in crime, Rob. Rob, how's it going, man? It's going great, man. I've had a busy week, a lot of, a lot of work going on this week, but it's all good. I'm so glad to, uh, to be here and to be talking. How are you doing, Larry? I'm good, man. I too have had a busy, uh, a busy week. And in our organization, we are sprinting toward kind of what's a Super Bowl for us, which is Easter. So we're all kind of working 90 miles an hour. Oh, man. One night this week, I needed to blow off some steam. And I'm like, I got to watch a movie. And I was searching through my iTunes library. And I ran across this this movie called Man of Steel. Have you seen it? It's like the Superman movie. The new one? Yeah, the newer yeah, one. It's absolutely. a Zack Snyder directed back uh, like 2013 or something like this. What's really cool about this uh, and why it was special to me is that our church that I worked at when I was in Chicago was actually used by the filming uh, company as kind of home base. And so they put the stars trailers there oh, as they neat. shot a bunch of scenes locally. They, uh, so who was there? Who, who, who might've been at, at your church at that time? Oh, well it was, uh, Kevin Costner was there. Uh, Diane Lane was there. Uh, Russell Crowe was there. Um, Henry Cavill who played Superman was there. And oh. it was weird cause I was in a meeting in my office and I saw Diane Lane just walk by the sidewalk right by my <laughs> office. You don't see that every day. No, nope. um, it was pretty cool. And so it, it brought back a lot of memories. I was able to take my kids actually behind the scenes on one of the sets. And it was just really cool to see the movie and to remember, to remember that. But I think more than that, even it, anytime I watch something like that or, or Batman or any of these other things, it, it brings up this sort of like childlike wonder in me. It's like a, the, the idea of the superhero. It's such a cool thing. And, and so for me, I think it brings out all that childhood wonder. But I'm curious, like, why do you think superhero movies are so popular? Oh, man, I've loved them since I was a kid. And, yeah. and my feeling on it is just that people love to think of themselves as exceptional. They love to put their head and their heart into that role and think, what if I was the hero? Mm, yeah. They love to see people saved. They love to see um, special powers. I mean... Special powers, man. Who doesn't want to fly? Who doesn't want to fly? Or lift cars or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Go invisible, you know, hear things 10 miles away. That sounds awesome. Laser eyes. Laser eyes, yeah. Laser eyes. Well, I was thinking about this and thinking about leaders, and I think as leaders, we often uh, think about that ourselves, that we, we think we're supposed to be in the role of the hero. And I'm curious, Rob, thinking of ourselves as the leader, it's not always the best way to lead, is it? No, it's not. But really, whether you do it consciously or unconsciously, most of us leaders think that our role is to be the hero. That's yeah. our, our default setting. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, today we have a really exciting episode for you. We had a, a great conversation with a guy from Chicagoland, Dave Ferguson. He'll tell you more about who he is. If you don't know that name, you're going to get to know him. You're going to love Dave. He's a brilliant guy. He's all about empowering other people. And he challenges this idea that leaders have to be the heroes in a brand new book that he has called Hero Maker. It unpacks some really great concepts about moving from being the star of the show to creating others' uh, opportunities for them to be the star of the show and really how to move from having sort of an incremental to an exponential impact. Rob, a lot stuck out to me. There's there's so much that I can't wait for our audience to hear, but what stuck out to you in this conversation? I loved, loved the way that Dave addressed the fear that I think most every leader has when they think about investing in others around them, which mm -hmm. is, 
how will it affect my own job or stability if I really pour into these people? What if somebody does this job better than I do? Mm. What if somebody grows past my capability? And Dave speaks directly to that and says, no, that's not how it works. When you invest in others, you create a culture where people want to work for you. They want to work with you. They respect your company. They respect your team. And uh, he just really challenged what I believe is a, is a common fear that leaders have. Oh, that's so good. There's so many good things. We are so excited, friends, for you to, to listen to this conversation. We know it's going to be helpful. Grab something to write with. Uh, get ready for the ride of your life. Dave's going to challenge you. He's going to encourage you, and he's going to make you a better leader. So without further ado, let's dive right into our conversation with Dave Ferguson. All right, let's just jump in. Dave Ferguson is with us today. So excited. Dave's a pastor and a thought leader who lives just outside of Chicago. Dave, I have mad respect for you and all the stuff you do. I'd love it if you would tell uh, our crew who you are and what you're all about. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Larry. Yeah. Um, uh, we moved to Chicago to plant a church uh, way back in the day and been here ever since. And by God's just tremendous grace, um, that I mean, the church is kind of has grown almost every year. Uh, we have 10 locations across the Chicagoland area. Mm. I get to be the lead pastor. Um, we also started something called New Thing, which is our church planning network, um, which is just, especially over the last four or five years, um, kind of exploded. We have uh, uh, over 150 networks in 30 countries and about 2,500 churches that are part of that. And then the third thing I do is I get to lead, a, or I get to lead I'm, the, I'm the president of the Exponential Conference, which is... Um, at least we say this in our marketing, you have to research it. We say we're the largest church planning conference in the world. I can't believe we're really the biggest in the world, maybe the West, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, it's a big, it's a big conference and we get to have a lot of say in kind of what people are thinking about as far as church planning. And, and that's a lot of fun. Wow. That's really cool. Sounds like a, a busy job. Um, mostly fun though. Yeah. Mostly fun. I love that. Give us a little bit about who you are. Like, why do you do what you do? So you just told us a bit of, you know, you, you're the three things, kind of three hats that you wear. Why do you do this? What makes you get up every day? Um, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is I want to help people find their way back to God. Mm. I think that is the key leverage point um, for a better relationship with people, a better marriage, a better family a more fulfilling life. I think God wants to give us an abundant life. I think he wants us to also make a difference in the world. I think there's a way that God meant the world to operate. And when you help people find their way back to God, that's the key leverage point. And without getting too deep in the weeds, um, one of the things we have discovered is that when you start brand new churches, they are the most effective way at helping people find their way back to God mm. uh, by far. And so my passion for kind of multiplication and movement uh, comes really back to this thing where, um, yeah, how do I help other people come to know and uh, love God? Mm. I love that. I probably met you, Dave, about 10 or 12 years ago, and I've always admired the the work your team does. You guys, I've, I've come to a couple of staff meetings and a few other things, and there's a great energy with your team. I think that is a reflection of the culture that you guys have tried to create and, you, and multiplication and building leaders has been a, a, a heartbeat of yours. Was it always that way since you started? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's partly just the way kind of God wired me mm -hmm. was one. I think um, if you think about uh, kind of 
Uh, Ephesians, the, the different kind of primary gifts of apostle, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I think I'm kind of an apostle. I think in business terms, it's like an entrepreneur. Right. I kind of like that zero to one and then how do you scale stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were also some people early on who influenced me in that direction and also gave me some real simple tools for how I could begin to do it. So I think it's both partly just a gift that God gave me and kind of a way I think, but then also there's some early influence that was very, very helpful. Mm. That's awesome. Let's talk about the book. You've got a brand new book. Uh, you've written a few other books, but you've got a brand new one called Hero Maker. I just finished reading this. Uh, this is one of the freshest, most exciting uh, leadership books I've read in a long time. And I think it has wide application. And I'm actually hoping to take our entire team through this. I think it's going to help our entire organization where we're at. Uh, and I think for our, our tribe, which is church leaders, small business owners, uh, nonprofit leaders. I think it's huge. It's helpful. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. Before we get too far into it, though, I'd love to know what problem did you see as you were thinking about what's next as far as writing? What problem did you see that you were hoping to solve by writing this book? Um, I think there's a couple things. One is, I mean, I think it's core to Jesus' vision for the church. Uh, So the last thing Jesus said before he left kind of planet earth and hey guys here's how we're gonna here's what i want you to do he said jerusalem judea samaria ends of the earth and so he was clearly thinking about movement and thinking how could his church not just be this institution that you outsource your spirituality to but actually this ever expanding always including movement of love that would change the way we live and i think we get inspired by that but how do you actually do that how do you actually what, what is the stuff, the infrastructure, the, 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 the practices, the tools of movement making? And so um, I think particularly for church leaders, that's something we're passionate about. Um, I think business leaders also are looking for ways how they can multiply their efforts. Um, and so what I try to do is that here's, here are five essential practices for how leaders can multiply other leaders. And then with each of those practices, we gave very simple tools. In fact, so simple, you could actually, as soon as you finish the chapter, you can go out and do it that day. So I have a question for you, actually, Dave. I was thinking about how when I've seen people focus on multiplication, sometimes they do that and they sacrifice maturity or they sacrifice other things in an effort to just grow. But what I feel like you're proposing is is that the two go hand in hand somehow, that maturity and multiplication or maturity through multiplication. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what's that balance? Is it, Can you grow too fast? Uh, you mean, can you have numeric growth too fast? Sure, let's start there. Um, it probably depends on what kind of what kind of numeric growth it is. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's numeric growth where you're just you're just kind of, let's say in a church setting, you're just warehousing people every Sunday morning in big boxes, and it's not real life change. Then yeah, absolutely mm. you can. Um, and in fact, that's one of the things that that we really try to champion in the book too. That we and w- without kind of taking shots at growing because healthy and multiplying things, you have to grow. So, because, right. I mean, if you're not growing, I mean, and then you multiply it, I mean, zero times five is still zero. Zero times 10 is still zero. So you have to grow to multiply to get to movement. So, but what we encourage is we say, we want to grow to create uh, sending capacity, not grow just to create seating capacity. And because if you're, if you're just kind of mm. warehousing people in churches somewhere so you can brag about how big your church is, you've done nothing. But if you're actually growing mm-hmm. people up so that they're equipped and ready and you send them out back into the marketplace, back into their neighborhoods, or out to start brand new churches who start other brand new churches, then, I mean, mm-hmm. you are making a real kingdom impact. 
So there's this concept as we move into the big concept of this book. You you start the book off talking about the secret. Could you tell us just a little bit about what the secret is? I, I think this. I think the part of the secret for us came when we began to look at um, churches that were reproducing and multiplying. We began to look at churches that were reproducing and multiplying, which is, I mean, just a fraction right now. Um, what we began to discover is there was something distinctly different about those leaders. Leaders at the smallest mm-hmm. level, where you're talking about small group leaders or missional community leaders, and also uh, leaders at the senior level, uh, like the senior staff kind of folks. And in fact, what we did for the book, two different times we convened thought leaders down in Atlanta just to have conversations about this. Made a long list of all kind of the, the characteristics, the traits, the practices. What are the things that are unique about these kind of leaders? And we asked, we actually had to look beyond the United States because you just don't have that many of those churches here. So we've been able to look even globally. Interesting. And we made this long list. And I remember, um, I think it was uh, Dave Rhodes. I don't know if you know Dave or not, but Dave spoke up and he's like, mm. as he, he got to look, there was probably 25, 30 things we had listed. And he said, you know what's different about this group? He said, this group of folks, these group of leaders here aren't really trying to be the hero. It's like they're making everybody else the hero. And as soon as he said mm. it, it kind of clicked. And I wasn't yeah. the one who coined the phrase. And then someone else, we just started calling them hero makers. That's who they were. And as we, as we, and, and it, and it, I don't, it wasn't like we discovered something. It felt like more like we rediscovered something because then oh, when we okay. looked at the life and leadership of Jesus, we're going, hold, that's exactly what Jesus did. And particularly, mm. we kind of landed John 14, 12. There's this thing. And if you've been around church for a while, you've heard it a bunch of times, but, we, but you've probably gotten way too familiar with it. <laughs> and it does this radical mm. thing to this ragtag group of followers of his. He says, listen, here's, here's how this is going to work. The things that you've seen me do, he says, you're going to do those things. And then, and then this is, don't forget, we have to remember, this is Jesus talking. He says, no, you're going to actually do greater things. And so mm, right. I, the way I see that is in his life and his leadership, he saw part of his mission is to make sure that his followers, okay, were actually going to be able to do greater things than he did. Take this thing places he would never go. Uh, take, take the good news to the places he would never have the opportunity to meet those people. They were going to be the ones who are going to write the best-selling book, the Bible, not him. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm, in so many right. words, you would say he was, he was creating a platform for them to stand on. And, and, and he was actually being a hero maker in his life and leadership. And he had three years to do it. And then they, I mean, when you think about what's happened from that small group of people since then, it's profound. I love that. You say in the book, I want to help you learn the secret of affirming, mentoring, and cheering other leaders into greatness and releasing them for work across God's kingdom and the multiplication effect they create as they in turn mentor and release others. That's such a powerful statement. I see how church leaders listening to that, they're instantly going to go, I want this, I need this. What would you say to someone who um, is a small business owner or they're a nonprofit leader about how that applies to them? I, I, I would encourage a lot of our, our business folks to, yeah, I mean, to think about almost like a double bottom line. Yeah, you got to make a profit. Because if you don't make a profit, you don't get to play the game. And that's also true in the church world. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? True. But the right. most important the most important stewardship opportunity you have are the people around you. Mm-hmm. So how do you yeah. invest in those people to help them become everything they can be? And I would, I would contend, okay, I would contend that if you become the kind of owner of a business 
where they where people know that if I could get if I can if I can work there, the the the, the HR is so awesome. They do everything they can to develop people. That I mean, people are going to be waiting to to to, to work for your company. I, I got to I got the, I got the opportunity right. to um, spend a few days down with the folks at Chick Fil A recently, just to kind of study their culture. And one of the one of the unique mm-hmm. things about about Chick Fil A is I'm is I mean just the 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 number of people who want to be a franchise store owner. I mean who I mean I got a guy in my church. I mean he is he's right now. I mean he's he's in line hoping to get a store. And it's because you know mm-hmm. if you get a store, both it's going to be profitable. But you know they also do great work in developing their people to be the, everything they can right. be. And um, so that's what I would challenge people. I would challenge business leaders in that way. So we use in in the business world, we talk about this term employee engagement. Yeah. And uh, one of my companies that I founded is called Elevate Point, and we, for a long time, used the tagline "Make Employees Heroes." Oh, really? And it really resonated with our market, mm-hmm. which was uh, internal communicators at larger companies. So we sell communication software, and they would be fascinated with that term because they would come to us and say, that's what we're trying to figure out how to do. That's what we're trying to do within these larger corporations and organizations is we're trying to make employees view themselves as part of the brand. So you hear this term employee engagement, you'll hear this term brand ambassador Mm -hmm. uh, tossed around in the business world. And for those that are listening that are business owners or uh, a leader within a larger business, these things are highly related to what Dave's talking about. It really is about that attitude of we invest in our people, we unlock their potential, we get out of their way appropriately, and we don't hold them down arbitrarily. And creating that culture where uh, it's a rising tide floats all boats culture, as opposed to this culture of I'm going to protect and build my empire within within this company, right. uh, is I think it's just a critical aspect. And it aligns very directly with everything that you've talked about. One of one of the one of the guys that was uh, a mentor of mine, and you may know this name, uh, Bob Buford. Have you mm-hmm. ever read his book Halftime? I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Okay, so Bob's a guy. He just, I mean, he he made a buttload of money in the cable TV industry. I mean, just, um, and it was through a tragic um, accident. He his only son uh, died mm. when he was. Bob was probably in his 40s, and he called it his halftime. He went from being what he from trying to be successful to what he called then significant. Mm. But I think it's the same thing. I think he went from trying to be the hero to being a hero maker. And what you were talking about reminds me of this. Here's something Bob would always say, and I, we, we now use this all the time. He would say, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Oh, wow. My fruit grows on other people's trees. That's powerful. And, and he had simple practices he would do too. Like he'd always, he, he'd either have a three by five card like in his front pocket or he'd have a wallet card in his wallet. And he'd have a list of maybe a dozen names of young emerging leaders that he was both relationally and financially invested in, investing in. Hmm. And I got to be one of those people for a short period of time. Wow. But I mean, it's the same thing exactly you're talking about. That's, that's just how he was going to run things. Yeah, that's so powerful. Uh, one thing I just want to point out to our listeners, there's so many good questions to ask in this book. I, I, I love as a leader thinking about, I think powerful leadership is learning to ask really good questions and you provide awesome questions, tons of questions. Um, there's, there's 
one question that you threw out here, you say this, if I could give you only one leadership question to ask yourself every day to maximize and multiply your influence, which I think is something every leader wants and needs, uh, you say it would be, am I trying to be the hero or am I trying to make heroes out of others? I think that's such a powerful statement. So as we, we move in, there's five practices. I want to get to those in just a moment, but I would love to just maybe paint a picture for our listeners of what that actually looks like. Moving from that's hero good. to hero that's maker. What, what, is it, what does a hero maker look like? Do you have a story uh, of someone maybe that you could share that actually was a picture of this to help us sure. sink our teeth into it? Um, let me give you a, a simple practice and then I'll tell you a story. Great. So for example, the, like that particular question, one of the things that I um, try to do every day, and I'll just show you here because I have to have my bag right here. So like you can see here, this is my journal. And mm-hmm. so at the top of my journal, I just write this every day, hero or hero maker. Uh-huh. And, I put a, and then I make, then I go and I look at my calendar and I'm going, okay, what are the things that you're doing today? Mm-hmm. And if the things I'm doing today are kind of about me and promoting me and doing everything for me. And, and there are, when we go back here, there'll be days where it's like, no, nope, guess what? You're, you're, <laughs> you're the show today. Yeah. And I mean, you have to be honest. But then I, and then I force myself to circle one of those. And this mm. simple, this simple kind of practice like this just keeps that question front and center all the time. Mm. Um, are you, either one of you guys runners? Um, only if something's chasing me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So in okay. Colorado, there's times when I might have if to run. If a run lion is after yeah. me, I'm I'm running. Otherwise, fair enough. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I'm going to look this up. Um, Shalane Flanagan is uh, considered probably the premier female distance runner in the country. Mm. I'm telling you this for a, for a reason. Let's see what we got here. There we go. And um, last year, she won the New York City Marathon. Mm. First time a female American has won the New York City Marathon in 40 years. Wow. Okay, so it's a big deal if you're in distance running. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I like to run. I got two boys that are really competitive runners. We're going to go actually this weekend and see my, my, my youngest one run out, nice. out of Bucknell University. But here's what's cool about, about Shalane Flanagan. The New York Times wrote an article about her after she won the New York City Marathon. Let me read this to you, and I think it'll actually illustrate the idea of a hero maker. Okay. It says, Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon last week, and her victory was more than about just an athletic achievement. This is straight out of the New York Times. Of course that. It's remarkable. She's the first American woman to win the win in 40 years, and she did it in a blistering time of two hours and 26 minutes. Oh, man. 26.2 miles, that's fast. Oh, it's yeah. really, 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 really fast. But here they go on. But perhaps Flanagan's bigger accomplishment lies in how she nurtures and promotes the rising talent around her. Mm. A rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Check out this. Every single one of her training partners – all 11 women on Team Nike have made it to the Olympics while training with her. Oh, wow. An extraordinary feat. They call it the Shalane effect. Mm. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. Imagine if they had like the Larry effect. Like, like everybody knows Larry is up to great stuff, but if you just, like, you just get close to Larry, you're going to be great, mm. right? It goes uh. on and says this. Shalane has pioneered a new brand of team mom to these young and up and comers. And I think this particularly speaks to church leaders. Listen to this. She's done that with the confidence not to tear others down or try to protect her place in the hierarchy. Wow. See, that's what a hero maker is. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're not, you're not trying to not do great things, but along the way, you know, part of what you do is you make everybody else around you. Great. Mm. I love that. I mean, that she's the best, the best that we have, but along the way that if you get close to her, you're, you're going to the Olympics. And they talk in business about proximity. And, you know, if you look at the history of great people, they're often mentored by great people. And so there's yeah. absolutely a, a history of that, both in business and in church, where you see um, the ability to be near someone, even even the disciples and the way they were near Jesus and spent that time with him. It's, they're learning more than just what he said or what he did, but also just his heart and the way he thinks and the way mm-hmm. he looks at the world, his perspective. And I think, um, you know, one of the groups that in businesses, they're trying to figure out how to hire and how to, how to, how they think is we talk a lot about millennials. And so mm-hmm. I love millennials. I didn't originally because I feel like I didn't understand them. I wasn't sure about the work ethic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody had these concerns. But what I really think it is, I think they want to be passionate and they want to be inspired. And so they look at the world and they say, you know, it's not about whether or not I'm willing to put my effort into what you're doing. It's about whether or not what you're doing is worth doing. Mm. And they are waiting to be inspired. And so I love this concept of hero maker because if you can look at millennials and think that way and work with them that way, it will be to the advantage of your business, the advantage of your corporation that you're a part of, or the advantage of your church as you're raising up the next generation of leaders. And just thought it was worth mentioning that a lot of people are trying to figure out that group and that this ties directly to that as well in my mind. Yeah. You, when you start where you're talking about mentoring too, I, I told you this uh, about one of my mentors, Bob Buford. And it's interesting, I never made the connection exactly the way you just described it. But, and you'll probably recognize this name, you know who one of, you know, his primary mentor was, he writes about him all the time, hmm. was a guy named Peter Drucker. Oh, wow. Okay. Which most people in business know is the father of modern management. Totally. And so Peter, like, literally took time for him. And uh, Bob would fly out to Claremont, California, and they would spend an afternoon together, and Peter just mentored him. And for 20 years. Mm, wow. And, and right. it has that effect. Yeah. It- yeah. Hey, it's Rob. Having a hard conversation about behavior, performance, or alignment is something that most of us leaders fear. And because we fear it, we put it off, especially the difficult conversations. Lead, Build, Live has put together a course called Aligning Conversations that includes seven great coaching videos, reusable worksheets, and a guide that will give you the confidence you need to get that hard conversation on your calendar and do a great job with it. Check it out at leadbuildlive.com slash align. I don't want to give everything away and I want to honor your time, Dave, but I'd love it if you would just briefly walk us through. You said there are five practices. So if we want to become uh, hero makers, to shift from being hero to hero makers, um, what are the five practices? Just walk us briefly through what that what those are. Sure. The, uh, the, the, the first practice is what we call multiplication thinking. And um, most of us are stuck in kind of a, a, a hero mindset, which says, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can do it. And what we challenge people is to move from just, yeah, you, you probably are very, very capable. But if you want to make the biggest difference with your life, whether it's in business or ministry, it best happens through multiplied leaders. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I challenge people with is you – for most of us, the thing that will catalyze multiplication thinking is you, you have to have a big dream. Mm. Because if you have a if you have a small dream, you you probably go like, "Hey, I probably could pull this off all on my own." Yeah, you're not compelled to need to multiply. Exactly right. I, 
a quick story. Um, I was sitting in a, in a little workshop and a guy named Neil Cole was speaking. And Neil said, hey, I want you to think about your current dream. Bring that to mind. At that point in time, my dream was I wanted to have a church of a thousand people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had a church of a thousand people, that would be awesome. You've right? arrived. Right. It was so lame. So lame. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's like saying I want to have a business that I want to earn at least 100000 a year in my business. Right. But, but, but it also it's like it's just so lacks imagination or anything. Yeah. Right. And, but then he said this. He said, now I want you to take that dream and multiply it by a million. Mm. And so all of a sudden I go a thousand times a million, couldn't hardly do the math. And, and it's, it's a, a billion people. And what happened just even with that simple little challenge is all of a sudden I knew I couldn't grow a church to a billion people. I had enough sense. Okay. To do that. <laughs> and, I, and it was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to work through lots of other leaders. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to have to start a lot of churches to get to a billion people. In fact, I can't even stay in my own little denomination. I have to work outside my denomination. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and that big dream forced me into multiplication thinking. Gotcha. And so I challenge people, if, if you don't have a dream that makes you dependent on God, mm. you need to get a bigger dream. Mm. And that bigger I dream, I think, will force you into multiplication thinking. I mean, I think that's it's so wise. I will say uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm, I'm fiercely independent, sometimes to a fault. And that's one of the things in my own journey is, I mean, I do like to give things away. I, I love empowering other people. Uh, I became a certified leadership coach for that reason. I love imp- pouring into people and releasing, but I still have that fierce independent streak in me where I just go, well, I can do this. No matter what the issue is, I can do it, especially under stress. I become a little more insular and like, well, I don't, I don't lean on and depend on other people as much as I should. What's the danger of that? Um, you probably, you probably will never, ever maximize your leadership potential. Mm. Yeah. So not having a multiple multiplication mindset, it's a huge lid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the things too. I mean, sometimes when I present the material, people go like, wow, it takes so much trust, it takes so much this for me to give away stuff to other people. But, but on the other side is my experience has been that these, these practices are things that all of us can do to make a bigger impact with our life. You don't have to be, you know, in church speak, a Craig Rochelle communicator, an Andy Stanley communicator. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're willing to kind of like, no, it's just continually invest in other people. And I feel like that's part of my story. Or like a Ralph Moore. I don't know if you know Ralph Moore. Ralph's a guy who um, just, I mean, he's not a world-class communicator. He's a great guy. He actually, if you hung out with Ralph, he'd say he struggles with anxiety and, and some, some self-confidence issues and stuff. But the guy, because he's kind of applied a lot of these practices I've t- we're talking about, he's in his 70s now, but he's planted churches that have planted other churches that have planted churches that's now more than 2,400 churches. Wow. And so, I mean, when you just, if you even do the math, you go, let's say each of those churches are 100 people. Yeah. I mean, that's more than a quarter million people, hmm. which is way bigger than any other church in the United States. Right. I mean, what I love about this, this is just from an influence perspective. This is a game we can all play. Right. Right. Well, and it has exponential impact instead of incremental. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I know you like that word exponential. Yes. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. All right. Multiplication (laughs) thinking. That's, that's practice. Number one. Number two is permission giving. Yeah. Permission giving. We we tell people here's the, here's the four most important letters of the alphabet. Okay. I see in you. And we challenge leaders you need to have what we call ICNU conversations. Like you'd say, Larry, you know what? I see in you somebody who not only understands, okay, 
how, how to uh, run a church, but you have at this point in your life, the ability to pass that on to others in a way that lots of people could be doing exactly what you're doing. Mm. And, and you have those kind of conversations where you actually speak to their gifts and you say, here's what I see in you. Mm, I love that. Because once you get to this, the multiplication thinking, you realize I can't do it on my own. All of a sudden you begin to look out there and go, okay, I got to find some other people to invest in. And, and you begin to see the gifts that God gave them. Mm. And you, and, but you don't just see it. You, you actually say out loud, I see in you. Mm. I had a great conversation. I had, a, I have a younger employee from a former uh, former company that I was talking to and he made some personal choices on the weekend sort of thing that ended up affecting his day job a little bit, nothing too serious, but it was a time that I had to go have a conversation with him. And so we had an HR appropriate conversation and I was about to leave that office and say, okay, we're, we're good. And, and he said, Hey, hey Rob, I just feel like you have more to say to me and I'd like you to say it to me. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I paused for a moment and I said, I, I do have more to say, but it's, it's an, it's an out of work conversation. And so we had the out of work conversation and that's exactly how I started with it. I said, I see in you better and more than the choices that you made. Mm. I yeah. see that in you. And it's not that, we haven't all made choices at some point that we regret or that things we shouldn't have done on a weekend, et cetera. It's more that the disappointment is not in the action that you took. It's in that I, I just hope that when you look forward in your life, you see something bigger for yourself than that. Because I felt like in that moment, what he needed was to cast a vision for himself yep. and, to, and to see his own life bigger and his own capabilities as, as bigger. And so it was a wonderful conversation, but I resonate very strongly with this idea of, of permission giving. I needed to give him permission to see his own world in a bigger way and his own capability. And not only that, but his own value. I, I actually said to him, I do remember this part of the conversation. I said, I, I think I see I'm valuing you higher than you're valuing yourself right now. Mm -hmm. That's and what I want you to take away from this. And he really looked at me and it was kind of a it fell to a moment of silence, kind of a thud. You could have heard a pin drop because huh. it just started the gears turning in his brain. I think we all need that. I mean, I think we all need someone to hold up a mirror for us, for the good and the bad, right? To say, there's some things, a blind spot for you. Blind spots aren't always just negative things or things that we're doing that are unhealthy. They're also, here's what you uniquely bring to the table or what we, we sometimes say, their leadership superpower, we don't always yeah. know what that is, especially if we're pretty gifted in three or four areas. We need someone to say, here's what I see in you. That's such a permission-giving uh, thing. So I'm going to make it a goal of mine today to try that in at least two of the conversations that I have. And, and oh, we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Good. All right. Multiplication thinking, uh, permission-giving. The third one is disciple-making. Tell us about that. Uh, disciple-multiplying. Yeah, disciple-multiplying. It's interesting. If you go back and you look at the life of Jesus— and we kind of go, okay, so did he spend most of his time with the crowds and the feed the 5,000, Sermon on the Mount, or did he spend most of his time with the few, mm. with just a handful of disciples, those followers investing in them? We actually went through and took all the events, in a, a, kind of counted all the different events in the Gospels. And what we found is that in those events, Chronicles in the Gospels, 73% of them, 73%, okay, ratio of three to one, were with the few versus the many. Interesting. And so I, I kind of challenge church leaders, you know, we spend so much time getting ready for Sunday for the masses, for the many. Right. And you need, and it counts and you need to, but what if we began to look at our calendars going, how do we do a three to one? 
three to one, I'm investing in people, I'm investing in relationships, I'm developing multiplying leaders mm-hmm. versus the one. And um, there's a there's a verse in John three twenty two. It says Jesus spent some time with them, mm. and uh, it's uh, it's actually there's a Greek word diatribo, and it's the idea of rub off. Right. And it and it literally means that Jesus spent time kind of just rubbing off on them. Mm-hmm. And and so I think the relationship part of, um, and I guess maybe in a phrase, I challenge leaders, if you think about those first three practices, dream big, but start small. Mm. Dream big, but start small. I love that. In businesses, the it relates to when you, you've been, a lot of people have been in a business where it's all about that next presentation they have to give to a group of leaders or they're, they're speaking at a conference or, and they spend all their time prepping for these things and they don't ever get the heart of their own job, what their own contribution is and how to make the ball move down the field, so to speak for their business. And so there is a a correlation there as well, just in terms of just being effective in business, you need to put your focus and your emphasis on the doing and the training uh, and take the emphasis off of the meetings and the soapboxing sort of um, environment that can happen inside of large corporations. So there's still a ratio there to apply on the business side. One of my favorite books that impacted me a lot several years ago uh, is a book by Ram Charan called Leaders at Every Level. Mm, And um, one of the things that I took away from that that really impacted me is that most businesses and organizations measure success by their dashboard of metrics is, you know, profit versus loss, how many units did we ship, uh, what's our attendance, all these kinds of things. And leaders, that's what they were being held accountable to. But they realized the best companies realized there's a vacuum in replacing ourselves, multiplying ourselves into other people. And so the best companies started actually measuring that as a part of their performance. Like, are you actually raising up other people? And so you'd have these regional directors in different parts of the country. And part of the measure of success was there's another person ready to step in to my role. And I think as, as leaders, sometimes it can be paranoid think, well, if I raise someone up to replace myself, I'll be out of a job. But in my experience, you're never going to be out of a job because you always no. have opportunity to be catalyzed. That is the job security. Yes. That is the job security. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay, multiplication thinking, permission giving, disciple, multiplying, gift activating is the fourth practice. Yeah, and if you kind of notice, these really do build on each other, and they're what we kind of call epigenetic. There's, they're put in the right sequence. So mm-hmm. you, you start to have multiplication thinking. You begin to dream bigger. I can't just do it on my own. You begin to see people different. You give them permission. Then you start investing your life in those people by discipling them. And then this, this fourth one is gift activating. You fully activate their gifts. Because this is where sometimes the mistakes made where we go like, well, you know, he's my associate. Mm. She's, she's my co-leader or, you know, and, and we kind of keep them as our perpetual right-hand person. And we kind of put a lid on them. But, but the real hero maker, no, you, you almost have a, there's a paternal aspect to this. Mm. And you begin to think more like a mom or a dad mm. than you do like competitors in business. Right. That, I mean, because like there's nothing that would make me happier than if my kids were more successful than me. Oh yeah. You know I mean? This, I mean, the pride that you have, there's just such a weird pride that you have when your kids do well. I'd expand that Dave and just say, also your spouse, there's this beauty because your spouse might be the longest term should be possibly the longest term relationship you have in your life. And to know someone for um, my 20th anniversary is coming up this year in May. And so to know someone for, longer than 20 years and to see that arc of their life story and to be invested in um, activating their gifts and just, and it even changes over time the way that you look at it. So there's a beauty in marriage as well. Yeah. 
And Gosh. so you send them. So you send them out to do everything they possibly can. You help them become the best they can be. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think back to your point a little bit earlier, you're talking about if, if as a leader, whatever space it's in, as a church, nonprofit, small business, if you're doing these first four practices, you're going to have people wanting to be on your team because Absolutely. you're helping them become who they were created to be. People are going to, that right. word gets around because we don't often see that in work environments. No, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Multiplication thinking, permission giving, disciple multiplying, gift activating, and then finally, uh, the fifth practice, kingdom building. Yeah, if uh, I mean, if that first one is a shift in how you think, and the second one is kind of a shift in how you see the world, the third is a shift in how you share things, and the fourth is kind of a shift in what you bless because you're sending out people. Mm. This last one is, a, I would call it, it's a shift in how you count. Because oh. now, mm. what happens in kingdom building is instead of counting how many people are coming to my thing, it's how many people am I sending out to do God's thing. Mm. And so, back to kind of what you talked about a little bit there, Larry, is, is instead of the primary metric being what's my church attendance or how many people are showing up for my student ministry, or how many people are in my small group. Mm. The most important thing is, okay, how, how, many, how many leaders have I sent out to start other groups? Mm. Uh, how many students have I actually equipped to go ahead and start other student-maybe-led small groups? Or as a church or as a pastor, like how many other churches have I helped plant? And maybe right. you keep track of how many churches there are out there that you've helped plant, or how many people attend those churches, like I explained with the Ralph Moore story. Right. Like Ralph, yeah. Ralph leads a relatively small church right now. Hmm. But I mean, but he's probably impacted, I mean, way north of a quarter million people every weekend. Wow. And so you keep track, you keep score about kingdom wise instead of just kind of like what's happening here locally. Right. Hmm. I once, um, I once heard uh, uh, Dave Gibbons was at, at a conference and he was speaking. And one thing that he said was, what if we started shifting the numbers that we're measuring? Like what if we, the numbers we were measuring are more leaders deployed the homeless yeah. the homelessness rate in our community going down, poverty decreasing, all these things. And it was to a, a group of leaders who were in the church, and my, my mind just went boom, because it's, it's the opposite of what's thinking. But I think in this transformation from hero to hero maker, it everything you're saying is it forces you outside of yourself. It's really easy as a leader to be all about me. And I love that all five of these practices are forcing us to release things and to start measuring things completely different. And it also feels to me like this journey has to have some baggage along with it. It probably feels like breathing underwater a little bit for people. So as we move toward a close, I'd love to know how do, how do leaders contend with this? How, how long does the process take? Or is there a, um, the, the process of letting go? How do they do that? Uh, like letting go of an individual leader or actually themselves letting go. Yeah. Them letting go. It's a, it's a lot to be focused on me. I've got to do my thing because we oh. find our security and our stuff. So it's, I think one thing I like about this is you're using the word practices mm-hmm. instead of just steps. It's not, it implies there's movement, but that I got to work at this. And I guess what I'm asking is, could you just speak to encourage us basically to stick with the journey because it takes practice. It's going to take time and it's going to be scary at times. Oh yeah, this, I mean it, it is an ongoing battle because I mean, you know, who doesn't who, you know, instead of being the platform, I mean, instead of being the platform, you'd rather be the show, right? Mm. <laughs> instead of being the guy holding the holding the spotlight, you'd rather be in the spotlight. Let's, I mean, right. you know, I'd rather be the guy doing the talking on the podcast, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so it's, I mean, no, it's an on that's an ongoing battle, but I mean. I do feel like by, I mean, even by God's grace too, there's, and let me say this, like one of the things I try to do all the time 
is I try to, and I'll challenge other church leaders to do this, is you need to have an apprentice at the smallest level, someone you're investing in of your organization, and then also at the, at the senior level, at the, the highest level. Mm, I love that. It's easy to forget the different the difference, the required and difference. I, exactly. So I lead a small group. I let my small group met Tuesday night, and I'm supposed to have an apprentice. Currently, keeping it real, I don't have an apprentice. Mm. My apprentice kind of flamed out on me, which that's the real life stuff that happens. Yeah. So now I have to find, find I'm going to find someone else, ask them to come work alongside me. But then I also, I mean, I was just last week in Brazil um, working with church leaders there to help them start brand new networks, apprenticing them to do that. Mm. And so I think you will always want to kind of be doing both those things. And if you will stick with it, it does have a flywheel kind of effect. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be hard at first and you're going to be like, oh, crap, it was like a whole year and I got one other small group. Yeah. And then, it, you know, but I'm telling you, if you just, and I feel like that's been our story at Community and through New Thing is that we've just kind of kept that. And then pretty soon, boy, it's like, it reaches a point where all of a sudden the flywheel starts going faster and faster and you do actually get momentum mm-hmm. and that momentum actually then gets you to movement which is what we've been talking about the whole time. All right, Dave, as we move toward a close, just a couple of last questions. What are you hoping leaders who read this book walk away with? Um, I hope they walk away with a new vision for how they could make a huge, huge difference. That if they do actually have a, a, a kind of a leadership gift, that, I mean, if, if they started, I mean, at a young age, investing in other leaders, there's the, the, the kind of kingdom impact they could make is just um, incredible, incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is something, and it's something that all of us can do. This is not for the exceptionally gifted. Um, mm-hmm. that's something all of us can do. And what do you hope it does for their organizations? I, 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 and we've spent a whole chapter in chapter 12, we talk about a, creating a culture of hero making. Mm-hmm. And I would love that, they, that this would so capture their imagination. They go like, you know what, this is too good for me just to keep to myself. I want to, I want to apply what I'm learning in, in here and then what we talk about in chapter 12, about how I can create a whole culture uh, of hero making. And that, that there's something that, that even in the culture, when you're in that company or you're in that not-for-profit or you're a part of that church, that the culture is just casting this vision for, no, that's who we are. Mm-hmm. We're people who are making heroes of other people. We're investing in other people. We're multiplying leaders. Um, that's what I would love. Dave, I'm going to give, give you the final word. Is there anything, uh, any last thing you'd like to leave with our audience? I would, I would say maybe the most important leadership principle I've ever learned is you will reproduce who you are. Mm. And so back to the challenge of, you know, finding somebody who's an apprentice leader at the smallest level and also the highest level of your organization. Um, this, this is not a book you can read or something you can come to understand and then give it to the rest of your team and say, man, you guys ought to do this. Right. <laughs> right. People, own people, it. right. People don't, people don't, they, they don't, they don't do what you teach. They listen to you. They mm. reproduce who you are. Mm. And so I think that's, that's why I challenge with people listening. Hey, if, if this is making sense to you, um, own it, do it. And what you'll begin to see is others will also do it. I love that, Dave. Thank you for that. I really recommend this book wholeheartedly hero maker. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Uh, it's only uh, probably take you two or three hours to read, but the principles would impact you for a lifetime. So I recommend you grab that book. Dave, where can our friends find you for more information about who you are, what you're doing and, uh, and to learn? They can, uh, they can visit my website uh, at uh, daveferguson.org. It's got all the stuff, all the stuff there. And actually too, I mean, if they want, um, 
I got I got lots of things that go along with the book. I was even talking to you, Larry, because you're talking about doing it with your staff. I got mm -hmm. some videos, discussion guide, and sometimes we sell them, but other times I just give them away. So Thank if your you. listeners want to email me, um, my email is daveferguson at communitychristian.org. I would be glad to share those things uh, with them, and you can put that in the notes if you want. That's awesome. Hugely, hugely helpful, very practical, and we really appreciate it. Dave Ferguson, we love you. Amazing leader, doing great work. Pick up the book today. Thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah, thank you. Oh, man, that was incredible and super challenging. What do you think, Rob? I love all the aspects of that conversation. I think it, it just was such a great intro to a topic that many of us might struggle with just wanting to be the hero, wanting to be at the center of the story. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like Dave pulled me apart and put me back together. Oh, that's such a cool, uh, he's going to love hearing you say that too. Yeah. Rob, what's one thing that stuck out to you from this conversation that you're either going to chew on or you're going to put into practice this week? I felt like it became very practical, which is always important to us and to me personally. And I loved how he talked about I see in you conversations mm. where you can speak into the people on your team. I can't wait to get back to my team and have some of those conversations this week. Oh, that's so good. I, I think for me, uh, he talked about how he looks at his calendar every day, the, the appointments that he's doing, the work that he's doing, and he circles today, am I positioning myself to be a hero or a hero maker? That challenged me a lot. And uh, even right after we had this conversation with Dave, I walked into a conversation with someone else and I immediately went, no, 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 it's not about me. It's my opportunity. I, I need to try to prop this person up and help them. And so Perfect. I'm going to really practice counting those moments where I'm able to be a hero maker this week instead of having to be the hero. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell them where they can find resources about this podcast that they heard today? Yeah, we're putting together an excellent workbook for you that's free, and you can find the show notes as well as the workbook at leadbuildlive.com slash 002, and we're excited for you guys to check this out. Yeah, and as always, those downloads for you are, they're really nice workbooks, by the way. They're really cool, and they're, they're questions that are practical that you can, you can walk through them, and they'll give you tools that you can immediately put into practice. So make sure to go, go download those. Also, if you want to be a part of a practical relational tribe of leaders, and you're not already a part of Lead, Build, Live community, we'd love for you to go to leadbuildlive.com slash community. And there you can join our private Facebook group. You can subscribe to our podcast and our blog and more. It's a great way to connect with other leaders and to learn from one another and to experience community. So we hope you'll do that. That's all for today. If you want to learn more about Dave Ferguson, you can go to daveferguson.org. Oh, and before we forget, we want to leave you with a bonus leadership scenario, if you yeah. will. That's a way maybe we could say it. Maybe uh, yeah. maybe you've encountered this already or you might encounter it in You're the future. You're very likely. Yeah. Very likely uh, it's coming your way. We wanted to get Dave's take on this. This one's free, friends. This is just a little bonus leadership scenario that we asked Dave, how would you lead in this situation? And it's a gold mine. So check it out. Cheers. Uh, last question. This is a very serious one. So I want you to put your... I already, said white, I already said White Sox. No, no, no. This, oh, is, this is even more, this important. Is more this important. This is this transcends anything oh. in your current environment. I can promise you this. So I want you to put on your super leader hat here. If you found yourself in a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> what would your leadership strategy be? What do, what, what do I have available to me? You have a handful of people. You don't know them very well. You find yourself in the middle of the woods. There are walkers, there's zombies everywhere. One large pistol, five One, bullets. I have a large pistol? And five bullets. Five bullets. And I'm not just Only, saying, how do you survive? I'm saying, how do you lead? How do you lead? 
I think I'm running. <laughs> He's honest. I love it. He's honest, friends. I've been. I'm training for a marathon, so I'm in pretty good shape. I'm, I'm just I'm, going. Not, the zombies seem pretty slow. I'm. I'm, just, I'm just booking it. <laughs> How does Hero Maker apply in that context? <laughs> zombie multiplication. He's, just, he's throwing books at the zombies and telling people, it's, "Read the book. It'll help you." It's zombie multiplication. <laughs> zombie permission to bite me. <laughs> <laughs> zombie That's discipleship. All That's all I got.